What's up my dudes and dudettes? Today is, so I did an episode yesterday with Mr. Howard Bloom and I told him about uh, how my, I wrote a story. I took a, I took a large dose of of psychedelics in 2016, had a life-changing effect on me. And when I moved home, I wrote a story about it over the course of like, 12 months put like an hour a day in and I really tried to make each sentence something special I narrate I narrated it once before I think I put it up as episode 79 on Spotify but I think I was trying to be quiet it was early on in the podcast it's kind of low quality and so I'm going to do it again right now <sighs> because I turned the text into an image because I wanted it to be a a font that no one had ever used before ever. And I made it in such a way that that's another podcast for another time. I made it in such a way that it, it it is a unique thing because it's an image the way that it's, it's morphed. I cannot find the word file as OCD as I am. I cannot find the word file. So (laughs) I, I have this and I sent this to uh, Mr. Bloom and he wanted his Kindle to read it to him, as I have my uh, iPad read books to me. But I can't find the word file. So with that, I'm going to read it. Mind you, full disclosure, I wrote this at probably the lowest point in my life. It's very intense. It's also, I purposely didn't edit anything. And so there are times where it's just rambling. It's just like a, there's like a page of just like, crazy person on a sidewalk ranting i'm not saying it's good I'm not saying it's bad it's what it is and i'm not going to take anything out of that um so i wrote this entire thing on an iphone 4 so with that and i it's not going to be edited so i will be stuttering and losing my place and having to say words over again and coughing and swallowing and generally being a disgusting human So let's begin. The story is called Cliff, C-L-Y-F. My college English professor told me to never write using contractions, limit the use of that, exclude writing in first person, and to avoid expletives like the plague. Fuck that, I can't. At the hand of these parameters, throughout the entirety of concocting this digital document of one and zeros of fun and heroes, my creativity has been gunned and spear-gored, beauty violated like a nun raped by Igor, untapped potential, ashed like Rome by Nero. Translation. Adhering to the club rules of the English language has really curb-stomped any novelty my monkey brain constructed, so I abandoned them as quickly and permanently as the deadbeat dads in the days before genetic testing. It was a simpler time. Creative entertainment is the war to be won, and I will sacrifice my platoon of punctuation anarchists by casting them into battle against the old guard grammar Nazis. Creativity will not be stifled, even if the price I pay is to notify mothers of fatalities via grammatically horrendous letters. Why does grammar matter so much? It's already it's already a feat in its own that we've eluded natural selection this long, let alone manage to use the ten weird little knuckle-jointed hand penises we call fingers to slap the keys of a laptop, a synthetic brain extension that will ultimately replace us. Also, sorry, I've been having indigestion, so there's tummy grumbles. 
a synthetic brain extension that will ultimately replace us. Kind of like training the very same fuckhead who's taking your job. Except it's instead of another genetic snowflake fl- flipping your burgers in return for cotton-based consumer coupons issued by the righteous and morally infallible saints at the Federal Reserve, it'll be, ex- it'll be exterminators running on sentient NetSky software that will utilize suborbital ballistic death delivery systems to bleach humanity with the same apathy, indifference, and slight annoyance one feels when using cupped hands of lead-based tap water to wash a strand of hair down the bathroom sink. The above paragraph actually served as two filters, one announced and one embedded. The grammar Nazis were informed that I don't support homogenizing stories through literary eugenics, nor do I support raping original content of its novelty with the same totality and scalding hatred of F4 Phantom napalm sorties across picturesque rice paddies communities of 1970s Vietnam. If you haven't caught on by now, the not-so-secret filter used to marijuana out the squares is my morbid and red, red flag-raising sense of tumor. Third filter, fuck you. If you're still down to pound, let the story begin. My name is Cliff. I ate a bunch of psychedelic drugs, and here's my story. I had no idea that the gifts from God were arriving today. Shipping said 3 to 28 business days. It arrived at 9 a.m. on the third day. These fuckers mean business. Which makes sense, because they're a business. The goods slid under the door from a mailman who was unwittingly carrying paper and powder, capable of inducing a momentous ride of magic and madness so enlightening, ethereal, and earth-shattering that no mortal mind could rationally write it out. I was pleasantly surprised with the early arrival, to say the least. However, I like to plan my journeys through spirit and space ahead of time. Yet here I am, holding Buddha's nectar, and I'm supposed to what? Just go about my day like a dog by a stake while his master is, isn't looking. Desire, de- desire pulls deeply in my chest and I feel temptation burning, a literal physical yearning under my sternum. No, no, no. I must do this properly, I tell myself, just as I've prepared for previous rituals. With sincerity, love, and a true desire to get somewhere and learn something. Where and what, I don't know. And I don't mean that in the romantic sense of the young man and his guitar hitting the road and co- hitting the road because his heart's telling him destiny's calling and you'll see my name in lights one day, pa, I promise. No. I found psychedelic adventures bring me packets of peace always packaged in peculiar patterns. Thus, I don't know what's going to happen, but I can tell you that the Beatles knew what was up with Lucy in the atmosphere with carbon. But these journeys are not for leisure. I am to return with positive knowledge for myself and others. As Duncan Trussell once said, these chemicals are so powerful it could turn the captain of a preppy suburban high school cheerleading squad into a goth in a single evening i'm always open to such change no matter how absurd from my current point of view because it comes from within and cannot be unlearned these synthetic treasures were not to be wasted under any circumstances and then the curious little kid, all right, the self-pity, the selfish self-pitying addict in me groans with impatience and the previous paragraph means nothing. So like every battle with ourselves, I begin to try and justify my, my immediate wants while rationalizing an abandonment of all I begin to try and justify my immediate wants while rationalize while, while rationalizing the abandonment of prior obligations. Notice how I, notice how I said battle with ourselves. I have to pull you down with me because misery loves company fucking over others. To my surprise, after reviewing the previous 12 hours, I can actually justify this. I went to bed at 8pm without a sleep aid. Woke up at 4am without a stimulant. Worked out, did cardio, did weights, meditated in the sauna, and took a cold shower. That's what I try to do on a day-to-day basis, but rarely get all of them. 
Yet today, I did. My last meal was at 7 p.m. the night prior and was completely vegetarian. I hadn't drank alcohol in over a month. I had the place to myself, a clear mind, and a healthy, refreshed body. This was the perfect time and place to untie the knots. My girlfriend was going to be gone all day. My apartment was clean. I had no prior engagements. 9.05 a.m. With a Grinch-like curling shit-eating smile, I slid open the cardboard package and giddily gazed upon the fruits of Eden in front of me. With excitement, I cut one tab off of one strip, 150 micrograms of ALLAD. With more reverence than receiving the Eucharist at my first communion, I closed my eyes, placed the tiny trinket on my tongue with tweezers, and acknowledged the beginning of my ride. I did some more meditation, turned off my phone and laptop, lowered the temperature in the room, and sat in front of the TV. I flipped on Grand Theft Auto V, definitely not to massacre people this time, but rather to drive around and hug the turns, to fly helicopters over beautiful mountain scenery, and to try to thread the needle by flying the fighter jet at 400 miles an hour between skyscrapers, below a bridge, above the road, and to the side of a city bus, all at once. It never worked, but it's fun to imagine it did. Fuck you. 9.30 a.m. 30 minutes passes by and nothing happens. As Mitch Hedberg said regarding shitty absinthe, I was trying to force the trip. Staring at walls, squinting at tapestries, examining the sun's glitter on leaves, any visual cue that the engines were lit. Nope. Maybe there are mental abnormalities. I stare at my hands and contemplate that I'm just an animal with awareness. I glance at the sun and focus on the fact that I've spent my entire life on a green, DNA-infested, wet piece of iron silicate dust floating in infinity, and I ponder the goofiness of the idea that anything exists at all. None of it seems weirder than normal. All right, all right, chill out. 10, 10 a.m. Now I'm in denial. Maybe there's still food in my stomach. Despite graduating with a biology degree and being accepted to both medical and pharmacy school, I don't say that to brag, by the way. I say it to set up self-deprecation. So carry your Clydesdales and unroll those eyes. I conjure up some pseudoscience bullshit. Maybe the tab is stuck on my stomach wall and needs to be washed off so it can be absorbed. I drink a full 32 ounce of Gatorade, despite the fact I let the tab sit on my tongue for 30 minutes, followed by chewing it and tossing it around for another 30 before swallowing it. 10.30 a.m. What a fucking surprise. The water does nothing. Shooting down scientific larger than the church-slammed Galileo, or perhaps harder than Francis Gary Powers was shot down in his U2, I conjure up some more Herbalife-level horseshit. Maybe the enzymes needed to break it down don't have the proper constituent parts. That idea is technically plausible, in that yes, certain cofactors are needed by enzymes, as proved by biochemistry, but if I was deficient in those, I would have noticed a long time ago and been diagnosed with something at birth, more likely, I wouldn't have even formed properly in the womb. And to top it off, I'd take a multivitamin every night anyway. So no, a single fucking strawberry multivitamin, multivitamin gummy isn't going to just do the trick. But I'm desperate. So I take the chewy sensation that's sweeping the nation in hopes it'll help with the drug's biochemical digestion, quenching, and exfoliation. This opportunity comes once in a lifetime. You better lose your ego. 10.45 a.m., Nothing. What a surprise. And even if it was possible, why the fuck would I be looking for results in 15 minutes? Because I'm swinging for the fences like Barry Bonds on polar bear hormones. And continue to swing, I will. 
Maybe it's like the Wolf of Wall Street when Jordan and Donnie take the expired Lemon 715 Quaaludes. When they don't kick in, they start exercising to rev up their metabolism in hopes of pushing the goodies past the blood-brain barrier and into the receptors that'll make the good times roll. I tell myself. I start doing push-ups, chin-ups, and sit-ups before concluding my lux up, and this is all fucked up. 11 a.m. Just like Jordan and Donnie, I'm sorely disappointed. And to top it off, I'm all butthurt because of my douchey self-righteous inner monologue silently consoling me. Yeah, but those guys were Wall Street pricks trying to wade into the warm waters of hedonism. Plus, they took it too far and were reckless in their actions. You, my son, are trying to become more aware via chemicals banned by the man, man. Get on your white horse of enlightenment and travel onwards, my dear apostle of awareness. Puke. Disgusted by my ego and snobby thoughts, I realize even more just how badly I need a soul-sobering spiritual sit-down with the universe. I take my second cold shower of the day to wash off my sweat of stupidity. Okay, press pause. Obviously, not literally, you can't pause time. Or can you? This is called foreshadowing. I'm going to hint that at some time later in this story, I experienced the possibility of pausing time. Common sense says this is this experience was made possible by the psychedelic drugs I took, the major theme of this book. But seriously, pause. Whereas earlier I made a conscious decision to imitate Jordan and Donnie, choosing to exercise, all actions taken beyond this point in my tumultuous tale were of independent origin. Any future similarities to the lemon fiasco went right over my head at the time, as did the real-life foreshadowing. When my inner monologue muttered to me, they took it too far and were reckless in their actions. Little did I know I was destined to experience a level of irony so powerful that, if possible to be contained and directed, could have been used to level Hiroshima. Weaponized irony. What a time to be alive. Hit play. 11.15am. It's been two hours and 15 minutes. I ponder dosing again because the product is either we've is either weaker than advertised or I've been flat out hoodwinked and given template blotters. What would be the ramifications of taking another hit? If the latter possibility were true and I was given plain old perforated papers, plain old perforated papers instead of ego squashing squares, nothing would happen. If the former were true, then I would hit the threshold dose, probably start acting funny, but I would know why, excuse myself and kiss the sky. I retrieved the package, which I had sealed with several bags, thinking I had a cache of literal one-hit wonders. My purchase would last for a long, long time, and thus needed to be airtight and in the dark. Well, fuck that idea. I undo all the protective layers, carefully pull out the second strip of paper with tweezers, slice along the perforated area, and hold up the tab to my eyes. 100 micrograms of 1P LSD. Like using a second match to try and light a fire, I again attempt to ignite my brain by sticking my tongue out. I let the adhesive properties pluck the tab off the tweezers, and I wipe the tawny tongues on my lip, just in case a microgram or two wiped off. 11.30 a.m. Hold the phone! I slowly feel the slight nausea I have come to associate with LSD derivatives, namely LSA. Giddy with excitement, I immediately forgive the manufacturer for the shitty ALLAD. I've never been so psyched for nausea before in my lifetime. What an odd thing happens to the mind when promised spiritual when promised a spiritual scuba dive to the depths within. Excitement for nauseousness? I guess it's analogous to choking down jet fuel flavored disinfectants if you know the warm, gregarious embrace of alcohol alcoholic intoxication jovially awaits you. Yeah, not so high and mighty now, are you? Alcohol is a drug, and therefore you're no different than this here dirty hippie. We're all just monkeys who like to leave this world for a little while. The only difference being our compound of choice and destination of consciousness. Drunk, carefree, 
and socially smitten, caffeinated, vigilant, and anxious, baked, contemplative, and Alzheimer's, Adderalled out, confident, the person you wish he could be, and paranoid, Xanax barred out, void, with the skeleton crew running your brain, opiates, constipated, I don't know if I don't really take opiates, or some good old-fashioned bath salts, brain thrown in a blender, and singing with Satan as you eat a man's face on a Miami freeway. 11.45 a.m. The nausea has subsided, but no other progress towards the light has been made. When you wake up and see that you have 10 minutes left before your alarm goes off, you lay still, trying to fall asleep, all the while thinking, don't think about it, don't look at it, just clear your mind, go back to sleep. This was similar. Don't think about it failing. It'll work. It has to work. Don't glance at the clock. It has to work. It made you nauseous, so it's definitely the right chemical, and it's definitely active. Okay. Okay. 12 p.m. It's been 45 minutes since the 100 micrograms of 1P LSD and three hours since the 150 micrograms of ALLAD. I'm still not entirely sure what the problem is. Lower dose than advertised or complete robbery? I don't feel the need to tap into the other two, two sealed pouches of LSD derivatives, ETHLAD and ALD52. So, but I have no, because I have, for I have no faith they will be any more active. I again unseal all the protective layers, but this time retrieve the, th- the thumbnail-sized baggie of purple-pink powder, 4-ACO-DMT, a chemical that produces an effect almost identical to psilocybin, or at least that's what I've read. My lurking on Arrowid, the Library of Alexandria for Altered States, has led me to conclude that 25 milligrams or so of the powder should produce visual and mental aberrations equivalent to at about an eighth of decent shrooms. I use my fingernails to open the smallest blade on my Swiss, Ar- Swiss Army knife. Established in 1884. Pick one up today. Using the sharpened tip, I dip into the bag ever so carefully, mindful to not even exhale, and scoop out a tiny little mound that seems to be a tenth of the total powder, give or take five milligrams. In addition to not trusting the manufacturer when it comes to the blotters, I no longer have faith in the vascular system woven into my mouth nor my, digest- nor my digestive tract on the whole. I hold the blade up to my left nostril, press the right one closed, and sniff like a crossbreed between Scarface and a German Shepherd. Instantly, heat and sharp acidic pangs ignite my nasal passage, my sinuses, in the area behind my left eye and above my uvula. That ought to do it. 1 p.m. I start posting on Reddit on r slash rc sources, ranting about how I'm disappointed with the company. A waste of money and a broken heart. It has now been one hour since the 25 milligrams of 4-ACO DMT, one hour and 45 minutes since the 100 micrograms of 1-P LSD, and four hours since 150 micrograms of ALLAD. I'm so upset, more sad than angry. Actually, I'm not angry at all. Just completely heartbroken that I won't be talking with God today. I ponder yet again if the chemicals were either diluted or non-existent and reach the same conclusion as before. Dosing again will do nothing if the latter, or introduce me to the girl with the kaleidoscope eyes if the former. Time out from reading. I wrote this five years ago. Do not buy drugs online. You have no idea what's in there. There might be fentanyl. You might fucking die. Do not, do not, do not buy drugs. I was suicidal at this time, so I don't think that was really a concern of mine. But as funny as I may try to make it sound in this book, don't do it. it it's it's stupid. It's Do your own research and, and be safe. 
I unseal the protective layer shielding the cranial candy from light and air. The inverse similarity it has to our atmosphere, a layer of air which is protecting us from the dark vacuum of space, goes right over my head. Yin and yang. The universe was sprinkling foreshadowing flakes right on my forehead for fuck's sake. But I had no foresight. I had no foresight. Buh, 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 buh. But I had no foresight to look for what Terrence McKinnon called psychedelic temporal backwash, PTB. He said it happens when you embark on a deep psychedelic trip. Not just any old trip, but when you go skydiving into your subconscious. The trip causes a temporal backwash. That is, even before you ingest the chemicals, in the minutes, hours, or even days leading up to the trip, you'll notice profound coincidences or beautiful metaphors representing fundamental universal truths being played out by seemingly bland everyday actions and artifacts, like unzipping a plastic bag. It's a retroactive come up. As I said before, it all flew over my head higher than a CIA satellite over North Korea, which are apparently high enough that we can all pretend those aren't concentration camps down there. But how the fuck am I helping out? I'm not. I'm a grown-ass man doing drugs on a Thursday morning. But you can bet your pretty little ass I'll keep being edgy and casting judgments from my high horse. Not seeing the similarities between Jordan, Donnie, and myself, I decide to dose up because there's no risk in my book. Finally trip or eat harmless paper. It wasn't that I contemplated a third possibility, but ultimately rejected it. No, I didn't even acknowledge the prospect that there was just a massive delayed time release weaponized irony the fact that so many things were flying so fucking high over my head that day gives credence to uh, mckenna's backwash hypothesis instead of blatant logic flying over my head i was simply already diving down deep into the hypersonic waters of psychedelia while rational thought floated along the surface cars aren't way up in the sky coal miners just work deep below the surface or maybe i'm just poetically trying to explain away my stupidity of that day 1 p.m still with surgical precision, I used the knife to slide under the minuscule pinch of powder in the bag and remove a tiny mound for the second time that day. Clearly, insufflation didn't work, so I choose to I choose to approach it from a bold new angle. I put it in my urethra, and I pack it down with a pencil and a wooden mallet. <laughs> Just kidding. I swallow it. Using a handheld mirror, I insert the knife into my mouth. <laughs> I forgot how fucked up that line is. Just kidding. I swallow it. Using a handheld mirror, I insert the knife into my mouth, wait until the entire knife is past my lips, flip it over and dump the dust under my tongue, and very carefully wipe the knife off my tongue as well. Like a hoe, turning a condom inside out from a late night trip with an NBA player, trying to get the goods. It is the most tart thing I have ever tasted. No contest. Swish it around my mouth using only my saliva, for I figure opening my mouth will cause some of the dust to escape. The physical dose is truly that small. For two minutes, I fist fight off my taste buds and continue to produce as much saliva as I can, my glands being the unsung heroes. I swallow and repeat, that's what she said. After three cycles over six minutes, I am comfortably opening my mouth, which was good because I couldn't physically stand it any longer. I down a 12-ounce water bottle at the speed of light and swish my mouth yet again. The potent powder is so small that I have a legitimate concern some may have been lost in the backwash. So I fill the bottle with a couple ounces of water from the sink, shake violently, and I drink it. I do this two more times to be safe. Like I'm disabling a bomb, I carefully pluck another tab of 150 micrograms of ALLAD with my trusty tweezers and place the sacrament on my tongue. 
I repeat this step with the 100 micrograms of 1P LST. Like Donnie and Jordan, I'm sure my second dose will do the trick. For no one is immune to 300 micrograms of ALLAD, 200 micrograms of 1P LST, and the equivalent of a quarter of shrooms in the form of 50 milligrams of 4-ACO DMT. 2 p.m. I am now sure there is no God. Nothing is happening, not even nausea. My mind starts straying into shitty science territory once again. Maybe caffeine will jack up my nervous system and cause the molecules to transfer faster. Maybe I need to eat glucose so my body actively uptakes the chemicals. Are more push-ups really that bad of an idea? No. Enough games. It's time to put on my big boy pants, tap into the knowledge seared into my mind from thousands of hours of studying physics and molecular biology and everything between, reject half-assed hypotheses and silly pseudoscience, conjure up the scientist in me, and approach this like the academic I fucking am. And by that, I mean let's fucking hurl caution into the hurricane winds of insanity and take the rest of the ALLAD and the 1PLSD. I tear open the sealed layers, grab both strips with my tweezers, and toss an additional 450 micrograms of ALLAD and an additional 300 micrograms of 1PLSD on my tongue without a blip of hesitation. Future me is watching this moment and can't help but see Jordan and Donnie tossing back handfuls of Lemon 715s desperately trying to get high. This was my last ditch Hail Mary attempt to land in the entheogen end zone. Two fifty five two fifty five PM becomes quite apparent that the long bomb wasn't caught and no touchdown of truth would be celebrated today. Little did I know the ball was still hanging in the air. Fuck it and fuck these timed intervals. None of this shit works. I'm not waiting five more minutes to dose again. It doesn't matter if it's not exactly 3 p.m. because God knows there's no need to write a trip report for this. I retrieve the baggie of powder and use tiny grooming scissors to cut the entire top off. Using the mirror again, I hold the entire baggie over my tongue, flip it over, and toss my pinky finger to push the bottom of the bag up through the top, turning the whole thing inside out, releasing an additional... 200 milligrams 4-ACO DMT in my mouth, the equivalent of 35 dried grams of Cubensis mushrooms. The equivalent of 35 dry grams of Cubensis mushrooms. The powder of death lands on my taste buds, but I'm on a mission. I gulp it all down. Then I wipe the exterior, formerly interior, of the bag all over my tongue, cleaning it of any remaining residue. I do my water chugging, swishing, and clean the bottle routine again. I text my girlfriend that the day was a bust and that she and two of my friends should come over. I text one of them and tell him to bring the greenery. We'll call him Kerbal Space Program because I was soon to be in orbit. We'll call him Kerbal for short. 2.57 p.m. It turns out they were only about a mile down the road getting food and thus arrived in a little over two minutes. My girlfriend... We'll call her Keenan, and her friend, we'll call her Emily, walk in talking to each other about something. They sit on a couch across the room from me. I see that they are in a conversation and that their respective consciousnesses are engaged in each other, so I should talk to Gerbil. The fact that I was so hyper aware of their personal bubble is, in hindsight, perfectly clear that something was happening. I could definitely feel that each consciousness was contained within or radiated outwards a personal bubble. I hate to be so hippie cliche, but they were bubbles of energy. You couldn't see them, but you could feel them. Like when you're upstairs with headphones on and you just know the garage door is opening. They were, are, there, and are just as unique as your DNA and your fingerprint. Yet, all of this 
raised no flags at the time. Guys, I gotta go take a pee break. Fuck, no, I need to keep reading. Because I can't, because it will, I'll just keep reading. 2.58 p.m., the third friend sits down next to me on the couch and smiles. What's up, bro? Actually, no, I gotta pee. So we're at 2.58 p.m. in this story. 2.58 p.m., the third friend sits down next to me on the couch and smiles. Sup, bro? Bro. Smile. Close proximity to be on the couch, and I don't feel like we're gay. Through memory, I can still experience a perfect reenactment of the feeling. Friendship. Camaraderie. Brothers. A bond stronger than any taught in organic chemistry, older than the hills, and built on a foundation of platonic love second only to that shared between a mother and her newborn. The players come and go, but the game echoes through time. Nomadic men up before dawn, moving gracefully on the dew-soaked ground, dirt caked between cow's toes and under toenails. BCE brothers in the Middle East, setting up their father's station for their daily merchant madness of the town bazaar. Medieval shitheads, smacking each other's armor with swords, deciding whether or not to enter the church or the military, and keeping a keen eye on the potential wives of their community. Something something Native American Indians, something something samurai, something something tuned with nature. Young colonial fathers helping each other build their houses, pass on Puritan morals, and unwittingly experiencing the birth of the greatest nation on earth. Brothers assessing their current homes and then making the insane, courageous, daring decision to get in a wagon for three months, somehow survive the trip, and then use shovels to hopefully find wealth in the form of shiny gold rocks that cannot be eaten, warm a home, cure an ailment, bring security, increase intelligence, or improve health. Funny creatures we are. Rocket skies dropping out of high school together, seeing the entire fucking world at war with itself and hurling themselves into the meat grinders of the European and Pacific theater of war in the 1940s. Two saggy, smelly priests Eiffel-towering an innocent, wide-eyed boy, Boy Scout in the Holy of Holies. Kerbal and I, bravely doing drugs. A timeless connection of brotherhood that brings warmth, laughter, fistfights, jealousy, support, and tough love. As if distilled into a single drop, all at once I could feel the spectrum of emotions experienced by gazillions of guys across multiple millennia. Like waking up from a nightmare and being so happy that your life isn't that hell, I become aware of, and incredibly grateful for, something as simple as a smile from a friend who says bro. The woes of life faded away like the wisp of smoke perched on top of a candle vanished with the flick of the light switch of of a ceiling fan. It is important to note my sorrows and problems weren't being pushed downwards and drowned by apathy-inducing warm waves of liquor, or artificially reduced to simple problems, a la stimulants. Rather, I found a well of joy by simply reconfiguring the pieces I had all along, like breathing life, excitement, and novelty in a bedroom by rearranging the very same furniture that you already owned. It is universally... It is It is universally known that variety is the spice of life, but Big Spice doesn't want you to know that mixing and matching your existing spice collection is actually more effective than buying new spice. They don't want you to know that your existing existing life, the very life you're living today, is already perfect, but the pieces are all jumbled. It's a life of such total happiness, fulfillment, and enlightenment, a life that beats any billionaire fantasy one may have, but it is just configured in the wrong way, like a Rubik's Cube. Fuck Big Spice and spiritual lobbying. Kerbal pulls out a tiny ball of cellophane wrapped bud. Kerbal's herbal goodies, 
It seems really funny that he had this ball in his pocket, just this little sphere of plant matter in a pouch and the material of article of clothing he uses to cover his lower limbs. It seemed like a normal thought at the time, but reality was slowly warping. 2.59 p.m. Kerbal tears the plastic and dumps the sticky, stanky organic matter on the glass table. He leans forward, putting his face right above it, and starts tediously picking apart the lumps with his fingers, creating a tiny pile of shreds. It is clear that his consciousness is now zeroed in on the flower. I see the growing pile of shredded leaf and glance at the ice-filled bong that will soon be, that will soon be used to combust, cool, filter, and deliver, and deliver gaseous THC to our lungs. I giggle at this thought. Kerbal glances up at me, smiles, and goes back to work, completely unaware of the looming storm in my mind. I chuckle a little more, trying to keep it to myself. The girls are in their own world and don't notice a thing. Kerbal looks at me, looks up at me, laughs, and says, What? And I respond, I don't know, man. I don't know. Three PM on the nose. <clears throat> Forget about Will Ferrell on SNL. The preparation of weed is absolutely fucking hilarious. I realize something is up. Oh man, could it be? I look at my phone. It's only been five minutes since the massive four ACO DMT dump. No, I couldn't be taking effect that fast. But man, something is hap. Oh, it dawns on me. The 1,250 micrograms of LSD derivatives and the 50 milligrams of synthetic psilocybin have been in my system for a long time. I've definitely found the culprit. Oh, shit. There's an additional 200 milligrams of 4-ACO DMT that have yet to come into play. Drugs. Doing drugs. Waiting. Doing more drugs. And then being immediately hit by the first round of said drugs... This has happened to me before, but with different drugs, in different scenarios, and with different intentions. On a Friday night in Athens, Georgia, the usual pregame party of ten good friends in a small apartment goes the usual route. The first game of beer pong begins with defined rules, A for effort shots, good defense, and partners cheering each other on. New batches of beer being brought in by bros are being systematically placed into bury the booze fridge with the geomastric mastery of ancient Egyptian pyramidal architects and the space efficiency of drug smugglers. The girls go to the kitchen and mix their drinks, sipping and re-sipping, altering the ratios of the sugary solvents and the solute spirits, somehow always producing potent Trojan horses of inebriation. You ever notice that? Every single college-age girl apparently has a PhD in organic chemistry, the intuitive taste buds of an the intuitive taste buds of an emperor's chef, and an ability to eyeball measurements comparable only to veteran carpenters. It's fucking bananas. Anywho, somebody volunteers to be the DJ. Emphasis on volunteer. For the night is young. Most of the liquid courage remains in brand name commercial vessels as opposed to the future debt slaves' blood vessels, thus facing sobriety and social social vulnerability. It requires an act of bravery by a bro, nay, a party patriot, to throw on their throwdown playlist whilst under the legal limit. For it takes a strong soul to put an encapsulation of one's creativity in display and await potential praise or evisceration, where you and your playlist become Patrick Bateman and his business card. Kind of like how this story is an ambassador of my imagination. Half an hour later, like a 747, lazily taxing on the tarmac, the night has indeed started moving, but it really hasn't gone anywhere. 
The Pongers are hastily downing cans of beer in addition to their silos of fermented wheat targeted by featherlight spheres, plopping down, then pluming up arcs of foam, like depth charges in a sea battle of sobriety. Conversations are slowly crawling out of their native circles, like early tribes initiating trade with other tribes, but sentences are still finished with forced smiles and slurping sips, the former in order to create the illusion that the party is getting it started, the latter to ensure the party is getting started. Finally, an hour in, and the raucous is released upon, or by, the youthful and beautiful. <coughs> Pong, part <coughs> Pong partners now renew their... Pong partners now renew their relationships on a shot-to-shot basis. An insane bucket brings praise and promise of camaraderie for life. A miss earns one the stink eye of a racehorse with a broken leg. Conversations no longer strictly occur between well-worn friends. If every individual is a sphere of ink, the alcohol has tossed a lot of them into the gears of a pumping piston engine submerged underwater, where they are vigorously taken up and then carelessly dispersed into the ether. Nostalgic songs boom through the speakers, embarrassment totally absent from the DJ and those who belt out the lyrics. Fucking alas, someone calls for shots. I'm really bored writing this analogy, so let's finish it up. You take several shots, then when you get to the bar, you do three shots in under a minute and start to feel warm and funny immediately, only to realize you are just now getting hit by the three shots you took 20 minutes ago. This was like that, except I was now getting gut-checked by psychedelics ingested hours and hours before, mere minutes after taking a dose that on its own would be a fucking ride and a half. In order to not render my regaling revelation into reductionist research report, the confusing combinations of characters, both Latin and logarithmic, construing chemical compounds, 1PLSD, ALLAD, and 4ACODMT, will be unscrambled and simplified into smoothened and soothing sounds. Alliteration. For real, though, we're just going to use acid and shrooms. We will also note that 250 milligrams of 4-ACO-DMT is roughly equivalent to the amount of psilocybin and 35 grams of cubensis mushrooms. Not 3.5, 35. A decent trip is 3.5 grams of cubes. Bill Hicks once said that a heroic dose is 5 dried grams and that he watched aliens build the Great Pyramids on one such adventure. My personal most extreme voyage into intersolar space was 9 dried grams on mushrooms and about 400 micrograms of acid. At this point, I am now feeling the effects of 1,250 micrograms of acid and 7 grams of shrooms. There is an additional 28 grams on the way. There's a slight uneasiness as the cogs in my noggin get a turnin' and the energy-efficient LED light bulb flickers on. Energy-efficient because my brain can only produce so much power right now. I write a note to myself on my phone. You ingested roughly 12 hits of acid in an ounce of shrooms. Your name is Tommy. From past psychedelic experiences, I know that it is indeed possible to unintentionally stray away from reality like an astronaut and tethered to the space shuttle. Except now that we don't have a fucking space shuttle program because the government scrapped it. My god, I hope who is ever reading this in the future can at this very second smile and correct me. Silly Tommy, we now have outposts on Mars and floating helium mining factories on, or in, Jupiter. Okay, I think. Okay, okay, okay. The conditions for a trip are ideal. I just overshot it a bit. But the set and setting are perfect, and I know I can't die. Time out. That's not accurate. That I 
do not order drugs online. This is a funny story. Do not do what I did. You could very well die. Time in. I add that to my note. You can't die. My friends are here, the people I love, and after all, I come out of every trip with a lasting appreciation for life. This will be fine. I write my note. I meditated. I ate. I'm healthy. I exercise. I turn the thermostat down. I'm in comfy clothes. What else do I need to do? Okay. I look up from my phone and gaze off, gaze off into the distance like one always does when thinking hard. But then it catches me. The optical obfuscations by the molecular minions has indeed begun. The tapestry behind the TV on the far wall. It's a tie-dye tapestry. It's not swirling, yet. But the color is just like, there. Like it truly exists. It's just right there. It speaks to me. It's a homemade piece done by a friend, but in this moment, it makes the Sistine Chapel look like a crayon drawing on a children's menu at a shitty seafood restaurant full of overweight moms and depressed dads and visors. This is not what I normally see. While I don't normally consume enough, consume enough shrooms for a Mike Tyson karaoke of a Beatles love week, I also don't normally have sublingual sex with a dozen diethylamide blotters. All right, all right, I'll go back. See, I just told a joke. I said I don't normally consume enough shrooms for a Mike Tyson karaoke of a Beatles, uh, Beatles love week. See, the joke here is Mike Tyson has a lisp, and the Beatles proclaim that they ain't got nothing but love, babe, eight days a week. So Michael would presumably pronounce eight as eighth. So, if you smudge the math a little bit, I ingested enough shrooms to have taken an eighth a day for an entire week. Eighth days a week. Actually, that equals 24.5 grams, only 70% of what I actually took, so it's not really applicable at all. But so fucking what? I lied for a laugh. For all you know, this whole story could be allegedly not true. Go fuck yourself. I look back down at my phone. Loss of depth perception. When you place a hand over one eye and stare at a wall, you lose depth perception. If laying in bed on your side, you may slowly reach out your hand to touch the wall, only to be shocked when either you can't reach it or you bump into it, far sooner than predicted. Well, you won't be shocked. It's just kind of neat. If you're shocked by something as simple as that, a depth perception experiment laying in your bed, then take a good hard look at your life and start incorporating some excitement, variety, and comfort zone departures in your life. Girls, go get that short haircut. Guys, try a new beard. Guys and girls, buy some psychedelics in addition to your new personal grooming exhibits and remove the societal stencils encasing and commanding your doings. Social constructs are shoes on the feet of the mind, jamming and chafing away, creating blisters of depression, disillusion, and directionlessness. But no one entertains the idea of new shoes. Just keep going. You'll get calluses from your new running shoes. Or to put it another way, just keep going. Don't worry, don't worry about the blisters from your slowly closing trash compactor cubicle, your screaming spawn, and rhythmic traffic jams sludging onwards to the pulse of a wheezing urban heart. You'll soon grow calluses from half-conscious dribbling media consumption, flash-heated factory food, and being comfortably numbed by boozy bottles of, en of any product from Big Alcohol Corp. Acceptance, apathy, and anesthesia. Always. Time out. God, I was such an edgy fucking loser writing this. Jesus Christ. Time in. <clears throat> I'll watch my footing as I step down from my soapbox. Feel free to grab a beverage at the bar, put carbs in my jar, and inquire as to why I'm at these coordinates. Actually, there's a better test you can try. Go to a, windows, go to a windowless room. 
turn the lights off, completely cover one eye with one hand, and stare at your phone screen for a minute or so. You'll lose complete depth perception. The white background of your text messages may seem to be 50 feet below the characters themselves, or it all might seem a lot closer to you. It's an odd, odd sensation. It's almost like seeing constellations from a different angle. Why isn't it loading? Uh, time out, everybody. Um, uh, so this file isn't loading. That's no boy now. Sorry, everybody. Let me try to find it. I don't know. Here we go. Sorry about that, everybody. It's an odd, odd sensation. Almost like seeing constellations from a different angle. <clears throat> Actually, it's much like our constellations. Always unaware that the stars composing the seemingly 2D images are actually fusion furnaces haphazardly scattered throughout an XYZ, and technically with a T-coordinate plane, by the four physical forces, but we just happen to see an image. Think of how a stage director sees a performance. More rows of curtains than levels of security at the White House. Actors finish their line. They sprint off stage and drop their clothes quicker than Subway dropped Jared Fogel, but not as quickly as Nora dropped Flight 93. As they run off stage, they pass the baton to other characters standing just behind the curtain, poised like Usain Bolt, ready to leap into the mind's eye of the audience. The actors who just leapt on stage now drop their costumes and associated lines only to adorn new ones, appearing to have conscious control over split personality disorder, like a formless mind with a neutral soul scrolling through the motorized tie rack of different personalities at the divine dry cleaners of the last exit before the vaginal canal. Point being, a director sees a play from the messy behind-the-scenes standpoint, whereas Lennon's jewelry-rattling ticket holders see a perfect picture of prancing peasants. Well, I looked at my phone with two eyes and a perfectly lit room and experienced complete loss of depth perception of the, quote, layers of the screen. In order, the layers are the screen glare, the smudges on the screen, the keyboard, the text characters, and the white background. We normally see this as just one surface, as one two-dimensional image, all the layers flush with each other. But these layers were no longer royally flushed, as if, letting me, as if letting me know the layers of my soul were going to be royally fucked. It was odd enough that, that tilting my phone revealed to me that my 2D screen was an illusion, a mirage in the desert of a psychedelic trip, rational thought as scarce as water. But this party was just getting started. The inflation of our universe occurs in such a way that space-time itself stretches, but the galaxies themselves don't change in size. The famous uh, the famous astrophysical analogy being that there are raisins in rising bread. They move farther apart, but they themselves stay the same size. In an identical manner, the layers of my phone, the glare, the smudge, the keyboard, the icons, the background, didn't change dimensions, but the perceived vertical space between them was now measured in multiple miles, the number of which exponentially increased with every passing second or whatever unit of time was passing by ticking by. As my screen continued to undergo accordionification, telescoping inwards at an accelerating rate to unknown depths, it resembled an infinity mirror for but a second. 
evolving to its final form as it opened up into a full-blown wormhole. It was at this time I acknowledged that the wallpaper of my phone was likely located somewhere in the pinwheel galaxy. Would my wallpaper, would my phone wallpaper choices of motivational quotes and peaceful imagery be blasted upon the sky of some primitive civilization? Would reminders like print off your boarding pass, give hope to alien armies, like the flaming crucifix that appeared in the sky before the Battle of Lepanto between the Papal Navy and the Turks on September 20, 1571? Is the smiling face of my angel girlfriend revered as a god in a distant land? Are we just the background of some entity's phone? Is the land beneath our feet actually app icons? When the divine appendage, when the defined, when the divine appendage of some deity rests on an icon, makes it shake, and then moves its position, do we experience that as earthquakes or continental drift? Is Atlantis a deleted icon? Holy fuck! Three fifteen p.m. I think. If the first fifteen three fifteen p.m. I think. If the first fifteen minutes of the tip of the trip are already this powerful, what am I in for? Jesus, help me. Wait, didn't Jesus die at 3 p.m.? Ugh, I'm on my own. I gotta be again, sorry. 3.02. I felt that 15 minutes had passed. Oh yeah, because I said 3.15, I said 3.15 p.m., I think. And now the reality is it's actually 3.02. 3.02. I felt that 15 minutes had passed. Passed. Time. Time passes. I know this. I usually experience this as, I have work tomorrow. I talked to her this morning. I still can't believe we did that in sixth grade. It's a simple part of life. Indistinguishable from fatigue, hunger, or boxer briefs a bit too tight, or even picking up a quadriplegic transvestite hooker in the dead of night. Now, after smoking some ganja or settling in p into a peaceful meditative state, or just really contemplating it, I can recognize time as some sort of river, a river that I float down. It's a more, quote, realistic, quote, view of reality, an appreciation of, or an obligation to, perceive aspects of life heretofore taken for granted. Heretofore is a bullshit word completely lacking authenticity. I'm making my own word, to gain. It means taken for granted. And Webster can suck my dictionary. Yeah, take for gain. It means taken for granted. To get for gain. And Webster can suck my dictionary. But time is a river, and I was now able to grasp this perspective that was heretofore to get for gain. This is akin to gazing at the stars and realizing, again, that they are not just specks of sparks sprayed across a cold black blanket, but rather separate thermonuclear fusion furnaces inhabiting actual space, no lesser real than the moon. This is also similar to taking a 12-gauge bong, loading that fucker up with specialty greenery buckpot rounds, fingering the trigger with your index lighter, and letting the icy rain of existential horror pitter-patter down your back, and then deliver... Oh yeah, so this is this is kind of where it goes off into the weeds, where it almost felt like I was on psychedelics again, right? Time out, sorry. This is where, I think the next couple pages, I might be wrong, are just kind of crazy. But they're in there, and so I'm going to read them. Time in. This is also similar to taking a 12-gauge bong, loading that fucker up with uh, with specialty greenery buckpot rounds, fingering the trigger with your index lighter, and letting the icy rain of existential horror pitter-patter on your back, 
then deliver a concussive blow of roasted toastiness to your noggin toboggan as it hurls down the luge of mind expansion with two middle fingers up to Nixon era fear mongers who proclaim weed is the devil but foam at the mouth when defending one's rights to own firearms, the right to dump beer between your ears, and the right to smoke nicotine tubes disguised as cigarettes and not Satan's cock ramming death down your esophagus, and right to and the right of Uncle Sam to kidnap illiterate farmers from the Fertile Crescent, dress them up in neon orange jumpsuits, deprive their senses from with what looks like surgical gear, and toss them in a happy summer program called Camp Extra at Guantanamo Bay. All while they crack a cold one, stuff a week's worth of greasy calories down their fat facial fuckles, throw one hand over their heart, turn up Toby Keith, and get drunk on the romantic illusion of a white knight patriotism that the Pentagon has been spoon-feeding the public for 54 years, ever since the fantastically metaphorical death of John Fitzgerald Kennedy, where the deep state removed the brains of, of America all over a Cadillac, and that very same lobotomy is the reason why no half-baked TV-addicted drooling scumfuck ever questioned the narrative. Every good American knows that the man responsible went by the mouthful of a name, Leo Sama Jack Muhammad Talmud James Sirhan Saddam Harvey Earl Usain Bin Sirhan Ray Loden Adahaya Ruby Oswald, but some may refer to him as Uncle Sam the Boogeyman. Translation, it's like smoking some really good weed. That good good. I think I can explain why only two minutes have passed. Einstein's theory of general relativity. When I took it again, when I took a gander at my silly cell phone, I stared down at depth so dark and deep that from its black nothingness rose two invisible hands. One that wrapped around my navel. I'm done writing for the day. Yeah, that's just a page where I decided I was done writing for the day. Back to writing. The reason why only two minutes of linear time passed, and I used air quotes when referring to the linear passage of time, because after circling in the bag of a newspaper, and after cir- after climbing in the back of a newspaper taxi, such a concept seemed flat out incorrect. For the uninitiated, if weed is like chilling on an inner tube going down a lazy river at a white trash water park during the dog days of summer, then LSD is like riding shotgun in a flaming dump truck chariot being pulled by a methed out elephant straight off Victoria Falls in the dead of a moonless night. How come only two little Minuteman missiles launched from Vandenberg Air Force Base? I was sure that, from my vantage point of the present, I saw 15 of them 60-second nuggets marching towards me out of the blackness, left foot, right foot, like baby ducks of cuteness so great that they melt one down more efficiently than a thermonuclear blast at point blank, like baby ducks, not like creepy Oompa Loompas, whom I fully support a global genocidal effort against. One by one, those little ducks of time, one by one, they hopped onto the stage of now with me. They bloomed open into existence like fresh sheets being unfurled midair over a bed by a housekeeping at a decent hotel that would definitely give you business to a second time, dutifully act as an unbiased canvas for the splatter painting that is reality to explode upon in a helter-skelter fashion of a mystery box of happenings, from a terrorist attack to a faith-restoring humane act and everything in between, including Charlie Sheen, to be sealed and stamped and yet framed and cramped upon the wall of history for all to see, yet remain unchangeable for infinity." The reason why those two minutes felt like 15 minutes is because I clearly had fell into highway hypnosis on my psychedelic toad trip and thus was oblivious to the fact that I was somewhere around Barstow. 3 or 3 p.m. Or at least I think it's 3 or 3 p.m. Timestamps from this point are only loose guesstimation, anchored to factuality by the occasional glances at timekeeping devices. At this point... There was not a single neuron at the brain cell town hall meeting in my noggin that could raise its dendritic hand in protest to the group affirmation that the trip was now underway. The tie-dye tapestry hinted at it began. The confirmation began. The confirmation came when I looked into my phone and proclaimed, My God, it's full of stars. 
In hindsight, I could tell the first few molecules of acid were tickling my neocortex when I was observing the spheres of consciousness surrounding my friends that indeed were my friends. As Captain Kerbal plopped his pooper on the couch next to me and flipped to me a warm smile like an aunt calling your name tosses a present on Christmas morning, it is now clear that the number of seconds I spent focused on the gregarious gift-giving directly paralleled the millions of molecules binding to untold numbers of receptors throughout my skull tissue. Silent and stealthy molecular Navy SEALs fired a silent 772 round of LSD at yet another chunk of brain cells, drove a blade into the neck of another, and glove-gripped hands snapped the neck of a third with swift sincerity culminating in my observation of the Renaissance painting on my wall that for years I had mistaken as a tapestry. Alas, my dive into the intergalactic tube of my eye wormhole was brought on by even more diethylamide destroyers crawling up my carotid arteries, sneaking past my blood-brain barrier like a shadow in the wind, and snuffing out normal brain activity like an assassin's hand cupping candles in the king's castle. But now, now, my brain, was like a little picturesque country town, in World War II Europe. Kids playing by a stream, doughy aroma infusing the air around a bakery, horses pulling wagons of grain or firewood up a dirt road, all interrupted by specks of black falling from the sky. Falling is the wrong word. Mark Twain said, the difference between right word and the almost right word is the difference between lightning and lightning bug. Hurtling downwards collapsing like the facade of the North Tower as thousands of people, mothers, fathers, friends, brothers, gym partners, Sunday night football comrades, childhood friends in the background of old middle school baseball team photos, college roommates that always wore that distinct cologne and unbuttoned the top button and carried themselves with a hidden confidence that whispered cool, that one kid in your college elective class that you never spoke to but subconsciously constructed in your mind a whole life he probably had, the friend's dad that just saw you on Sunday in the flesh who was awash with sentience, ghoulishly imprisoned in a slowly nightmarish way that they can't believe is happening time out i'm saying that the specs were hurtling downwards like the north tower collapsing on 9-11 and now i'm describing what it must have been like to be in the north tower it's a fucking weird story time in ghoulishly imprisoned in a slow motion nightmare that they can't believe is happening like that microsecond before you thought you were going to crash on the freeway and be slain on a mundane rainy sunday draining pain like a freight train as you kept driving through Holy fucking shit, so that's what it would be like. Except it's not a fraction of a fu- it's not a fraction of a fucking grandfather clock's flicking finger, but instead this is your life. And as you pace back and forth a quarter of a mile above the asphalt of New York City and anthropogenic canyons of Manhattan, but surreally saturated with the sense of a bonfire that belonged nowhere near here, you realize this is never like you thought it would be because you're terrified and alarmed, but more so than anything, you're fucking surprised. Like you've been tricked. Is this still happening? Is the smoke really getting thicker? Did a plane really hit our building? What? The stairwells are blocked? The elevators are slashed? I, a jetliner hit us? Is I'm, I'm on part of a terrorist attack? I guess I'm part of history and will always be, but really there are no ways out? Again, the pitter-patter of the icy cold existential rain wets your shirt so it seals to your back. A man just jumped. People are screaming prayers. It's been 45 minutes. And there are no first responders. It was not a plane. It was a jet. It was a declaration of war. How is this? What is this? Hold on. No, wait. I can't just... Fuck, I slipped. There's nothing to slip on. Why do I feel disoriented? Why am I on my side? Why do I feel like the drunk spins? The floor is moving wholly... Collapsing like the facade of the North Towers. Thousands of people are introduced to the Grim Rapier with swift sincerity. The drugs are entering my brain faster than the toxic tusk terminally infects thousands of disposable replacement peasants. <clears throat> I mean... Citizens without three commas in their bank accounts. Why did I take all of these drugs? 
Short answer, to seek answers or anything to fill the existential sucking void inside of me screaming for help in an ICU on a planet of deaths, a compass to navigate me away from the sullen woods and arid parking lots and inner city three-day-old snow muck of rage, suicidal thoughts, the confused as fuck and lost all hope of feelings that we can imagine were inside in the minds of those murdered on the paradigm-shifting Tuesday morning on the East Coast, inside of me, the hatefulness, the sadness, the sadness that I'm full of hate, the hatefulness because fuck you, you fucking smiled today, the rusty nihilistic blender that called a lottery number and then liquefied my existence with the disillusioned indifference of a depressed DMV drone dying to die, the bachelor party mixed shot of emotions that had, have, taken up residence in every one of my 70 trillion fucking cells that result a collateral damage of my older brother deciding to take his life on a raining April morning just a little over two years ago today. Time out. It's now been seven, seven and a half years. Time in. The fact that I had it all, that... In, the fact that I had it all, that I'd gotten into medical school, that I had a beautiful girlfriend, that I was in perfect shape, that I was going to be a doctor, I was going to be Dr. Kerrigan, a fact that I had it all, and now I'm living at home and seemingly have nothing. Clearly I didn't edit this, so it's all skipped together. I'm not skipping anything, sorry. They're, pa they're just the same page again and again and again. Come on, you're ruining the story. Well, this is really fucking up the flow. Come on. 3.03 p.m. I repeat... 3.03 p.m. For the second time, it's 3.03 p.m. My brain was a little picturesque countryside. My brain was a little picturesque countryside down in World War II Europe. Kids playing by a stream, doughy aroma infusing the air around a bakery, horses pulling up wagons of grain or firewood on dirt road. A crazy, cozy sky hangs over the cities. Not today. Still taken aback by the fact that I was on a track to have my brain attacked and zapped in molecular combat, I slowly turned my cranial lighthouse of consciousness to the left and I looked down. Whatever left and down even were meant at the time, I'm not sure. Kerbal, Kerbal was not there. When did he depart? Where did he even go? The very concept of matter shifting in space and time had shattered and rifted the pace that my brain could scatter and hinder the race of incoming data to process and put into place. Time out. So what I'm explaining now is... It came up so fast that all of a sudden I was sitting next to my friend and we were getting ready to smoke pot. And then in seemingly no time at all, I was alone in my room and it was dark out. There was just a gap. Time in. It is now clear that the innocent little village of my brain, of my brain was being molested by mile-long tank columns rumbling and roaring over ancient stone bridges as the sky was being diluted with endless waves of buzzing black bombers. Death stops gliding mere feet away as the tips of the artillery shells, still advancing at a glacial space, start piercing rooftops and stabbing into dirt roads. Time out. So I'm explaining what was going on as, because it's even weird for me, the person that wrote it, to look back at this. I was trying to explain the drugs hitting my mind as if my mind was a little picturesque town in World War II Europe, and the LSD molecules and the psilocybin molecules were like artillery coming down. And instead of coming down and blowing up instantly, I'm describing them like nanosecond by nanosecond. The artillery shells being the psychedelic molecules and the huts, the houses being my brain. And they're slowly, imagine watching like a super slow motion video of like a tank round hitting something. It's very, I was fucking in a weird place when I wrote this. 
time in. Death stops gliding mere feet away as the tips of the artillery shells, still advancing at a glacial pace, start piercing rooftops and stabbing into dirt roads. Friends saw a seemingly sober Tommy sitting on a couch, but I was riding shotgun on a road trip to the core of my being. Hunter S. Thompson at the wheel, spraying a Tommy gun out the window with the psychedelic accelerator pinned down like the FBI could pin down the architects of the 2008 financial collapse if they weren't cheap whores. The inertia, bear-hugging me with my seat, the hourglass of my perception of time suspended in zero gravity, the grains of sand afloat like planets, not going up or down, but just jovially floating in gelatin, as if they forgot they had a job. A hot buzz rises throughout me, throughout my apartment, throughout the world, throughout it all. Dryness cakes my mouth with gunky, slappy, sticky dryness. I'm frozen in time, yet voices move faster. The clink, clink, clink of the wobbly fan becomes an infant at a, on a red-eye flight. The feeling is unmistakable anxiety death pulls back death's cloak revealing black holes for eyes that hemorrhage red mucus a chunk of skull missing to reveal a throbbing wheezing brain and the wrinkles of a 116 year old woman the munitions time out the munitions the artillery shells being the, the psychedelic molecules time in the munitions start to detonate at a geological pace undifferentiated white light crawling spherically outwards my illusion of cool and experienced psychedelic psychonaut begins to crumble. All bark, but no bite. The humor of it all. I cannot believe how much acid I did. I'm so crazy. It fades the fuck away. I cannot believe how much acid I did. This is so crazy. This is how bad trips happen. This is where nightmares come to creep and sleep in your soul. Pale witch fingers tapping and tippling tapping and tickling up your goosebump covered ribs on a rainy night when the power goes out a crash in the kitchen a giggle in the dark don't think about the fear being in the basement at night flipping the switch that just has to be at the bottom of the stairs and hearing feeling bump 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 as it runs up the steps after you ready to grab your belt loop and rip you back down from your navel with the power of a donkey kick don't think about the terror when you're driving on the highway at 2 a.m with your brights on and you're staring at the woods on either side thick and tangled because the car corridor was cut right through it and seeing a man amongst the trees he saw you. Don't think about it. Don't think about the horror. Don't think about a trap. bad trip. Don't do it. Oh, fuck. This is like a dream. When you tell yourself not to think about something, that's all you're going to see. Death would hate to disappoint my little brain cell citizens. It raises a greasy hand, its silky sleeve sliding south, brings it towards its face, slowly curls four fingers and grabs the inside of its bottom lip, presses its palm against its lip, and yanks downwards, casually as one peels a banana, and rips the slimy skin off of its own face all the way down to the collarbone, exposing the roots of yellow teeth, purple gums, meaty chin, and the array of cartilage, muscle tissue, and vessels in its throats. See what makes you will. Crawl with me into your darkest fuck nose. The shock waves. Time out the shockwaves so what i'm explaining right now is again there's sort of think of like inception of like the car falling off the bridge i'm explaining the psychedelic molecules the artillery shells hitting the picturesque brain the picturesque town that is my brain so it's all the while these things are slowly piercing and then i'm kind of going and explaining fear and anxiety it the whole thing is insane time in the shock, waves inch, the shock waves inch outwards, invisible ripples seen only by the matter intact with, like magnetic fields revealed by iron shavings. But instead of grade school science ex exhibits meant to inspire kids to pursue a career in STEM, these concussive waves move indifferently and unselectively through matter in super slow motion, lifting dirt off the streets, 
buckling wooden wallboards, punching skulls and collapsing sternums, liquefying insides. Next comes the heat, little suns growing by the attosecond, insanely illuminating, not raising arm hairs like a cozy fireplace or deep frying like an industrial machine at potato concentration camps we call fast food joints, but vaporizing everything, con- conquering with godlike pride. People explode like tomatoes shot out of a slingshot, sending 300-degree flaming flesh flying spherically outward at half the speed of sound, composed of a red-brown cloud of white-hot mist, evenly sprinkled with what looks like chicken nugget-sized chunks of what looked like blackened hamburger meat. Storefront, frindo- storefront windows acted as canvas, organic muck as paint, shockwaves as the paintbrush, as if Jackson Pollock was re- re- reincarnated as an artillery salvo having impact. Others don't receive the merciful death of instant atomization, their bodies peppered by a hail of shrapnel, organic entrance points marked by poofs of red mist, terminating termination points signaled by the audible snapping of femurs, ribs, sternum, and skull. As the Buddha said, mind is everything. What we think, we become. Fear raked my mind. And then destiny dawns on me. And then destiny dawns on me. Not with joy, not with surrender, not with victory, not with positivity, but with the logic I can only imagine is graced upon those in their final hours. It's happening. Accept it. Here we go. Exhale. Peace envelops me. Time out. Now we're going back to the little town of brain cells. Going back in. Yeah, so we're the town was just destroyed by the psychedelic uh, artillery shells. Time in. The brain cell citizens pirouette beneath sprinkling showers of golden specks, heads protruding from skyward bound, rotating platinum icicles as fluffy angel wings unfurl outward. Death's face morphs into that of a comforting loved one, but only for a second, instantly transforming to a yet another familiar friend. Facial structure stabilized for barely no time at all before death's face dissolves to a formless skin canvas that, rad- that rapidly... F- time out. So what I'm saying now is the artillery shells that were going to explode, the artillery shells of psychedelic molecules that were going to explode on the little village that is my brain, what I'm saying now is none of that's happening death who takes off it's it's i i only refer to death as death i don't say he or she that was intentional it's just supposed to be death death takes off its uh its hood and instead of being this scary monster it's actually what it does is its face is shifting and it's moving and instead of seeing demons you're now seeing everyone you love everyone that makes you happy and it's not in a bad way it's you're just seeing all things that you love and with that i have to pee again but that's what it is so its face is shifting into everyone you love in a good way it's not like a threat like here's everyone you love it's a positive thing it's saying here's your mom, here's your dad, here's Santa, here's grandma, here's your best friend, here's your first dog. It's So it's the opposite of anxiety. It's pure love. I gotta pee. So I'm explaining things turning from <clears throat> anxiety to peaceful acceptance. So instead of, instead of, yeah, so instead of, again, artillery shells, now all of a sudden the explosions turn into, like, light and love. The scary demon turns into a smiling face, and it's just, like, surprise! Like, it, everything's good, right? So, it's happening, accept it, here we go, exhale, peace envelops me. Time in. 
The brain cell citizens pirouette beneath sprinkling showers of golden specks, heads protruding from skyward bound, rotating platinum icicles as fluffy angel wings unfurl outward. Death's face morphs into that of a comforting loved one, but only for a second, instantly transforming to yet another familiar friend. Facial structure stabilized for barely no time at all before death's face dissolves to a formless skin canvas that rapidly flutters and shimmers like a river in the morning sun. Its mouth-watering, watermelon surface reflecting light as it laughs, a gurgling, delicious, aqueous exterior smiling as it's smacked by seductive star sex, gorging on a breakfast of warm waves of photons flowing from our fusion chef 93 million miles away, instantaneously inscribing an image on the intake, and like the author releasing in a long-overdue installment to rabid fans, the fluid river facade finally finishes its flirtatious foreplay and releases the reflections in an explosive giggle of 100 billion shapes and colors and hues and highlights, throwing the vegetarian greens and summer sky blues onto our riverbanks, tree trunks, water-worn boulders, and a brilliant concert of life, a never-ending festival of nature where all are welcome to join the eternal dance, no clothes required. The saints of insobriety smile sunshine. The saints of insobriety smile sunshine down upon my face, loving arms pulling me under their wing, with a smile beaming across my face and heart like a spiritual name tag. Hey, I'm Tommy. Life loves you. So right now, and I can kind of see this time out right now, I can kind of see this in hindsight. I think what I was trying to describe was what I imagined my brother's suicide was and how on the other side, it's just pure love. It's every human that's ever lived and they're just welcoming you with open arms of just warm, loving, enlightening, peaceful bliss but then again, I'm saying that in hindsight, I don't know if that's what I was thinking at the time, but I'm saying how it, it all flipped from love. It's going over a waterfall just to find out that there's actually a net two feet under the edge. So you're getting ready to fly off the waterfall and you're right there. Time in. The saints of insobriety smile sunshine down upon my face, loving arms pulling me under their wing with a smile beaming across my face and a heart like a spiritual name tag. Hey, I'm Tommy. Life loves you. I dive into the journey I am so blessed to embark on by simply observing, as every facet of my reality has been rearranged, polished, and given a new breath of novel value. Remember, fuck Big Spice. Time out. So now, and I keep having to do this because I kind of need to describe what I'm... So now I'm explaining how everything I'm seeing is, like, born anew time in forget the tapestry every color now comes to life with bubbling lushness like the perpetually morphing and merging surface of lava everything is constantly manifesting itself like god's finger is stuck in the refresh key for the web browser of reality like crisp and clean cut interviewees straightening their hair and tightening their ties their business nooses like women touching up makeup and eyeliner like pit crews refurbishing and replacing rocketry on nascar pod racers like nba boys sprinting out on the court to clean the sweat off the ground like the little girl with the amazing voice singing to family and friends for only a second before running away every little anything doesn't dare to present itself for more than a second before molting its temporal skin to bloom into virginal youth untouched and sterilized newest smartphone sleek and sexiness elegantly divine as the bride alone in a room bursting with super saturated color each iteration dropping my jaw harder than the last i feel the earth around me staring into my soul warmly hugging my insides radiating invigorating me with life with pure energy energy no Energy doesn't properly describe it. Lightning bug is the wrong word. It's not energy. What it is, is it's this. It hijacks my heart, my head, and my soul. You know what I'm talking about. 
the energy you feel as you run and jump into the pool on the first day of summer, hanging in midair about to explode with joy because your crush just texted you back. Energy from awesome thumping of summer night thunder, whack-a-mole lightning firecrackers crackling clouds like 1920s flashbulbs. That energy coursing through crowds, goosebumps infecting your epidermis viciously and efficiently like a CDC nightmare. Every hair standing to attention like 10,000 saluting soldiers marching in Pyongyang with Katy Perry choreography and Olympic diving synchronization. That goosebump energy when the underdog comes back. No-name players in oversized jerseys and undersized contracts making miraculous catch after catch. Three-pointers drained from another area code. Extra inning moonshots. The 48-yard field goal over defenders in what looks like a renaissance mural. The victors screaming to the sky like gladiators thanking Jupiter. Energy so raw and irrepressible it jumps from March Madness court mobs through televisions and physically lifts fans off their feet from hundreds of miles away. That energy from real-life experiences you can't rewind or pause or capture so all you can do is watch it unfold, surrender to the madness, becoming the pulse, melt into the concert crowd of thousands of dancing, jumping, fucking, loving, screaming, singing bodies, speakers and subwoofers the size of shipping containers erupting with shockwaves, shaking you down to your bone marrow, not caring that your camera is dead or that your phone is out of memory or that you're too high to remember this moment because you're here now, a conduit for sex and love and fuck tomorrow attitude I so love about my generations. Suck it and fuck it, you crusty dinosaurs who hate us. Your meat machine rippling with energy so intense you feel actual pleasure from yelling, from pushing hard in your chest, eyes closed, arms flexed outside, letting the whole universe know you're alive. That kind of energy. The difference between the right word and the wrong word is lightning and lightning bug. I look, no, I gaze wondrously to my left and discover within its... Alright, time out. So... Earlier when I said all that time passed and I was in my room alone... Sorry, that hadn't happened yet. So now I'm still next to Kerbal and I'm turning and I'm looking at my girlfriend at the time and then it flashes and I I still don't know what happened. Several hours disappeared and I'm alone in my room and that's when I peeked. So I'm not peeking yet. Time in. Time out. So what I think happened was everything I'm explaining now was the first set of the psychedelics hitting me. I think when the gap came, I don't know what happened. Again, don't do this. It's not safe. But I think what happened is, is, so this first thing I'm explaining, this is the come up. All this insanity I'm explaining, this is the come up. What I will be explaining in a minute is the peak. The come up for this trip was stronger than the peak of previous trips. I've only done psychedelics, I think, on five occasions in my life. The come up from this was stronger than... It'd be like if the pregame of your bachelor party was like you got more drunk than like the craziest night out with your friends in college. Time in. <clears throat> I look. No. I gaze wondrously to my left and discover with innocence a female sitting cross-legged on the cushion next to me, holding my hand. Like special ops thermal or infrared viewfinders enable imagery perception of different area codes on the electromagnetic spectrum, the alchemical ambrosia incites psychotic riots in my brain by throwing stools through serotonin storefront windows. But there's a method to the magicness. Like night vision illuminates a hidden world, I am now hyper aware of myself, both my body and my mind. Time out. And now there's, I don't know what happened for several hours. There's literally nothing. It's not kind of spotty. It's just, there's nothing. And then I kind of come to in my room alone at night. So like six hours just because this was in like three, three thirty PM. All of a sudden it's nighttime. It's dark out. It's the middle of the summer. I believe it was in June, 2016. 
So, like, I don't know what happened. Again, it's not... Don't do this. It's not good. It's not good to be incapacitated like that. Time in. Time skips. Hours vanish in a second. I find myself alone in my room. Everyone else asleep. And the universe is taking me to its very core. Obviously, this was enjoyable and, and beautiful. But this time... I was there. I was truly fucking stunned as to why I was, why I am, why am I conscious. So there I was. Who knows? Maybe that's where I still am. Just feeling reality around me. And then, for whatever reason, I wasn't satisfied. I told it to take me further. It said, let go. Just let go. It will all be okay. These thoughts rushed through my being. So I let go. I could feel myself wander into uncharted territories, modes of consciousness I had never experienced before. I was a single point of being. Actually, I was less. I was understanding, but higher. I was going linearly. No, I was going exponentially. I didn't know what was going to come next, so I just kept going. Where's more? This was almost disappointing. The universe just told me to let go, but it wasn't taking me anywhere. Then, all of a sudden, there I am. I sit in wondrous exaltation to the inner deity of truth, sitting like a pool of liquid self at the centermost cavern of the eternal self. Sorry. Sitting like a pool of liquid silk at the center of the mo- at the centermost cavern of the eternal self. The universe told me to go further. It's like pushing branches out of the way. Leaves in your face, dirt at your feet, talking to somebody, you know, when you're walking through the woods and you push the branches out of the way one by one. And then all of a sudden you go silent as you push the last branch out of the way and you put your hand back to stop your friend because you see yourself looking down a 10 mile drop forest and rivers as far as you can see the moon setting, shooting stars streaking across the sky, the Milky Way's arms deep in the distance. That's what it was like. I pushed aside the last leaves of my ego and I looked into the infinity of my interior. It's like getting pushed out of a plane while you were still napping. I jumped into the ocean of consciousness. I was a newborn, yet an elder. A plane of of reality around me, indescribable to, well, me. I was there in a state of utter bliss and tranquility, induced by no more than my own thought processes, well, and the drugs. I turned my head, but my body didn't move. It was like I was in a dream. I was into the single point of being. I went farther and farther back. I merely receded further and no longer had to actively think about meditating or going center. I was just going into the center. Absolute and utter bliss. Understanding of all emotions. Like Dr. Manhattan, I actually began to see time as an illusion. I am here, but I am also in my mom's golden van on my way to kindergarten as well as sitting with my fiancé on a distant Christmas Eve. I am nervously walking into my first college party, while I'm also gray-haired and contemplatively watching yet another good friend be lowered back into Mother Earth in a grave. I am also a caveman 10,000 years ago, hunting with crude tools, lightning flicking through my senses at the slightest twig breaking. I am a passenger of a generation ship, apathetically droning towards the Andromeda galaxy. I am in the future. I am a gorilla, 
ten million years ago, lying on the soft jungle floor, protecting my kin, banded together with other males, protecting the females, but confusedly strive to understand what the points of light in the sky are seen through the jungle canopy. Further inwards, I travel, while unironically expanding ever outwards. I am. I am me. I exist. I am. There is. It is. Is. I morphed into my surroundings. I could feel my nerves connecting to the atmosphere in my room, to the walls, to the ceiling, to the carpet, to the apartment, to the earth. (laughs) I was bodiless. I vaporized into thin air. Too bad my eyes were closed. Too bad I was on drugs, because I could have sworn I actually vaporized. I merged with the one... I merged, excuse me, I merged with the one, capital O. I became all that is, and it became me. Time and space collapsed into an abstract memory. I was smaller than a quark, but larger than larger than the 93 billion light year across the universe. I no longer existed. There's simply experience, no ego contemplating the experience. I was the tree falling alone in the forest with no one around to hear it. I was the Tao, the great stream of experience. My physical being evaporated like a wisp of smoke. I couldn't feel limbs or bed or sound, sight, taste, or smell. I left all that behind. There was, is, no such thing as time. All is now. There never was a past and there will never be the future. I am writing this now. You are not reading it in the future. I am writing it now, and you are here now with me. Space was revealed to me to be a construct of our imagination. Time, an illusion, as I just said. The only thing that is, is is existence, and that's what God is. God is not an entity. God is the fabric and structure of existence itself. Therefore, we are all God, everything is God, and God is all. Thus, there can be no death for there was no birth. We're all cut from the same cloth, but there was never any cut in the first place. That's the illusion of ego and identity. There is a me that lives in a universe of other. Nope. No existence. Nope. No separation exists. Indeed, existence is all one blanket, the one cloth we thought we were all cut from. You are a circle someone drew on the, on, with a pen on the blanket. I am another circle that someone drew with a pen on the blanket. We were never cut from the cloth. We just had these arbitrary boundaries, making it seem like we were cut from a cloth. But it's just a fucking illusion. You're just the blanket temporarily experiencing the circle. You came from the blanket, and you'll go back to the blanket. No birth, no death. The blanket has always existed. The blanket wasn't manufactured. It's an infinite blanket. But what's outside the blanket? Just more blankets. And those seem like they may be separate blankets, but indeed, those are just more lines on the original blanket. Our universe is just a circle on an even bigger blanket. It never ends, because it never began. Every action of the universe is perfect in its unfolding, and not a grain of dust is out of place. Every action of the universe is perfect in its unfolding and not a grain of dust is out of place. 
It's a beautiful play, and life is front row tickets. As Bill Hicks said, don't be afraid, don't worry, ever, because it's just a ride. The purpose of us temporarily inhabiting these bodies is to force us to act. Recess in grammar school wasn't infinite. It was finite. Therefore, we never fucked around. We got right down to playing dodgeball because recess was too short to waste. Well, replace recess with life. And that's why we're here. If we had unlimited time, we'd worry and procrastinate until the end of time. Biological mortality, cancer, aneurysms, plane crash, old age, are whistles at the end of recess. But unlike recess, and this is important, we have no idea when the whistle is going to blow. We don't know if recess is 15 minutes, 15 seconds, or 15 days. So you got to act now because the whistle might blow. So you got to start playing dodgeball now. Don't wait until you're retired. You got to jump out of the plane now. Fuck worrying if the parachute opens or not. Just jump. For tomorrow, an asteroid might hit the Earth anyway. Lastly, what is this blanket of space, of time, of matter, experience, and consciousness? It's love and nothing else. If you boil down any experience or action in anyone's life throughout all of human history at its most distilled form, like quarks and electrons, it's the choice between fear and love. That's all existence is. Fear is a lifelong experience of shit, and when you die, you wake up, you face palm because you wasted it. Fuck, I was so scared that whole life. But it's no worries, man. Dive back in, because you can just do it again. What is love? Love is you enjoy the one now. You wake up and you laugh at how great it was. And you face palm anyway. And you see your buddy going, Ah, I spent that whole life being in fear. And you go, Ah, I spent it all in love. And you go, Do you want to do it again? You go, Sure, let's jump back in. And you dive back in. There is no right way to do it. If you live the life of love or the life of fear, it doesn't matter because we can just do it again. We're just playing. There's nothing going on at all. There's no true purpose to anything. Not getting into heaven or creating AI or reaching singularity or making a technological utopia because the universe just eventually collapses and starts again. So what's the purpose to anything and everything? One, it's love. Two, live in the now. And that's it. And that's Nirvana. As Buddha said, I think, Nirvana isn't some grandiose heavenly thing. It's just a hearty belly laugh. I don't know if Buddha said that, but it sounds great. You laugh at how silly it is that you were ever ever scared, sad, or angry. Because you now realize you are, always have been, and always will be, in a state of nirvana. That is, life itself is one long state of nirvana. It's just a matter of realizing it, delighting delighting in it, and trying to spread it to as many people as you can throughout your life. The universe has an amazing sense of humor. Life is the ultimate prank pulled off by a loving cosmic comedian. So you have love or fear. Choose love, you fucks. C-L-Y-F. Cliff. So that's the story. Here are the lessons I pulled from it in bullet point form. Who the fuck am I kidding? Eat a sheet of acid, gobble a bag of shrooms, hurl the blow-up doll of caution into the hurricane winds of insanity, quit everything, dive into the void, and remember, choose love, you fucks. Life has become immeasurably better since I have been forced to stop taking it seriously. Hunter S. Thompson. Hope you guys enjoyed it. That was a reading by me. Yes, I wrote that on an iPhone 4.
Tell me what you think of it. All right, my dudes. Peace.